if you pull up a list of all of your districts from your congressional to your school board to your state representative, they all have different numbers, different names. And seeing that alone, that shows you how many levels of power we're working with. We're trying to make sure that folks have elected officials at many different levels. And we know that there's so many different communities in our state, like racial and ethnic communities to rural versus urban, tribal communities. There's so many factors to really think about as we're creating these district lines. Arizona's redistricting process is seen as a national model. We should be really proud of the process that we have here in Arizona, but it's now more incumbent upon us to ensure that that process withstands the political nature that will come from the redrawing of political lines, but ensures that community remains at the center of those decisions. The one key idea here is that no one knows your community better than you do. You know your community best, and it's up to you to show that to the commission so that it can actually be included in these districts that will define the next decade for us. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Vitalist Park podcast. I'm your host, John Ford, and we're here today to dig into a -a once-in-a-decade opportunity. It goes by the unsexy, easy-to-overlook term redistricting, but do not be lulled into complacency by it. In a nutshell, this is about creating the boundaries of the geographic areas that each member of Congress, for example, will be representing. It is, in fact, the next key and crucial step after the just-completed 2020 census count. And the time to jump in and get this process right is, you guessed it, now. So why, you might be asking, is a health foundation talking about this? That's easier to answer than it might at first appear, because redistricting has cascading effects on communities' capacities to be healthy and well. We're talking about voice, power, and resources. Specifically, whose voices are heard, what community power is reflected in policy decisions, and what resources that support community health are adequately and appropriately allocated to communities. There are no geography lessons in this podcast, Politics are not our interest either. For the partners focused on bringing diverse communities to the redistricting process, this is about people. Representation and voice are core concepts not only of our democracy, but of our health and well-being. So let's get to it. It's time to wrap our heads around something that seems conceptually simple, but is practically quite complex, and to understand it today because of how much it matters for Arizona's health over the next decade of tomorrows, as of May 17, 2021. redistricting in Arizona. If you haven't heard about it, this is the time to find out because we have two fantastic people to talk with you about it. First, from Vitalist, David Martinez III. He is the Director of Community Capacity Building and Engagement at Vitalist. David, how are you? So good. Thanks for having me back again, John. Always a pleasure, sir. And also, from One Arizona, she is the Redistricting Program Manager. Her name is Victoria Grijalva Ochoa. Victoria, how are you? Really good. Thank you so much. All right, well, let's get into it. David, why are we talking about redistricting? What is it and why are we talking about it? Redistricting is an important aspect of civic health that is directly connected to our support of the census. And it's basically to ensure that our communities here throughout the state of Arizona have been counted in the census. And now that those residents are fairly allocated in the redistricting process. So this happens every 10 years following the census to account for adequate representation 
in Congress and at the state legislature, and then all the way down to the local levels as well, which a lot of folks don't really think about. But the redistricting process is a systemic concept that allocates power and resources. And those resources especially often include federal programs that touch on all of the elements of a healthy community, including funding for Medicaid here in Arizona, known as access and kids care, and food and nutrition assistance, housing vouchers. And then on the power side and the representation side, it is how our district lines are drawn so that our members of Congress and our state legislators are represent a fair amount of people throughout the state. Victoria, one Arizona doesn't really have any interest whatsoever in redistricting, correct? <laughs> I don't know that I'd agree with you there. I think we have a lot of interest in redistricting for many, many reasons. I mean, David is right on everything he's saying, but I would just like to add, you know, redistricting happens once every 10 years. So this is really an opportunity for us to build power and find ourselves to actually be represented in these spaces, whether it's in Congress or in the state legislature. There's a lot of reason for folks to be interested and involved in this process. Victoria, what do you say when you're talking to somebody about the whole strategy of working on redistricting? And they say, does it really matter? It comes right back to it. It's once in a decade. If we're talking about processes that impact just about every aspect of your life, redistricting is one of them. I think it's a complicated process for a reason. It's often difficult for folks to get involved in government generally. And this is a process that is difficult for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. But that's exactly why we have to be involved. It's a once in a decade process that guarantees that we get federal resources, guarantees that we're represented at every level. So why not be a part of that? It's complicated, but it's important. David Victoria said it right there. She said, it's complicated for a reason. What is she talking about? What systems and policies are we talking about here that we are trying to work within and work to change? Yeah, this whole concept of redistricting lines, first of all, seems really boring. <laughs> it is one of those things that happens at the government level the sausage making, if you will, that's not policy related, but that certainly impacts a lot of how policy works. And like Victoria said, how resources are ultimately allocated to the states and down to the local levels. So here in Arizona, we have the Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission, which was actually set up by Arizona voters after a proposition passed in 2000 that really tries to take politics out of the equation when redrawing these lines. Politicians shouldn't choose which districts they're running in. The people should. And Arizona has set this up quite an independent process, and it's one of the few states that actually has a people-driven independent process. So Arizona is often seen as one of the models across the country, which is something that we can be proud of. Of course, it's still a political process. So that's why it's really important that foundations like Vitalist participate and support organizations like One Arizona that have those trusted community relationships throughout the state to engage residents to participate in the drawing of these lines and ensure that their families, their communities are well represented in the process. So the Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission is not a new thing. We've been through this before with AIRC. Victoria, what do you expect the process to look like? Where is AIRC right now in the process? And how can people plug into that process? 
So the commission right now has done the majority of its hires. It's gotten its legal team, it's gotten its mapping consultant, and its mapping consultant will be in charge of drafting these maps for the commission so that they can see where these district lines are. So it's gotten past the point of all of its major hires, and it's preparing for what we call community of interest public hearings, where folks can actually define what their communities look like and really explain to the commission why it's important that their communities are represented and that they're protected in these districts so that we can make sure that Latinos are fairly represented, that Black voters are fairly represented, that, you know, all of our communities of color and in census terms, all of our hard to count communities are actually part of this process and can be properly represented in these new maps that are going to be shaping our politics and our resources for the next 10 years. David lovingly called it sausage making. You called it complex for a reason. How does One Arizona go about engaging communities and getting them to the table? David kind of mentioned this a little bit, but many of the organizations we work with already have built trust with the community. So we have 28 different partner organizations that have long been doing this work of ensuring that community members are part of the democratic process in as many ways and shapes as they can be. So all of our partner organizations are going out to educate the community on what is redistricting, how can you get involved and why does it matter, and explaining it to them in terms that really explain why they should be part of this process instead of focusing on the complications of it, but really focusing on why this is a process that needs our community input. So these organizations are meeting folks where they're at instead of forcing folks to be part of this really complicated process in another complicated way. Speaking of complicated processes, David, the census count is Done. We all know about Census 2020. That happened. Even more recently, what happened is we also found out for the first time since the 1950s that Arizona does not get an added member of Congress. Now, where are we? And where are we going to be soon? And how does that play into this redistricting process? The census count is complete after a long and arduous timeline. The work of the Census Bureau never ends, so they continue to crunch the numbers and run different data sets that will then be used for the redistricting process. But it's important to note this timeline because it is a once a decade opportunity for us to be counted and fairly allocated to the redistricting process. But the work of the census really began a few years ago in 2018. And of course, politics and the pandemic derailed the traditional count that happens in 2020. The Trump administration tried unsuccessfully to get a citizenship question on the census that was ruled unconstitutional, but still had a chilling effect on especially the Latino communities that we um, represent. And the timeline was extended because of the pandemic. So the count ended in the fall of 2020 rather than the spring of 2020. And even that official end date was moved up. So we missed out on an entire month of accurate counting residents. So the census just released that count for each state that showed Arizona had a nearly 12% population increase from 2010. So we now have about 7.1 million people living in Arizona. It was one of the fastest growing rates in the country, the ninth fastest actually, but still far below the estimates and what we were expecting So when the census announced the data and the amount of seats in Congress and the electoral college that each state would have, everybody of all political stripes, I think, were really shocked to see that Arizona 
would not gain an extra seat in Congress and again, the Electoral College, which is really disheartening because it means now our nine congressional districts will be represented, will have about 780,000 people in each district, which is quite a bit amount of folks to be represented by one person. And then we won't know really the exact data until later this fall when the census releases more specific data especially on demographics that will be used for redistricting. And that might show that there was indeed an undercount here in Arizona. But just a quick number to keep in mind is for every person that's not counted, uh, Arizona loses out on about $3,200 of federal resources. Again, allocated through federal programs like Medicaid, the SNAP Nutrition Assistance Program or housing vouchers, a whole host of federal programs. If we just go off of the amount of residents that we missed the mark to add another congressional seat, which was about 80,000 short to add that extra seat, times that by that 3,200 number, and that's about a quarter of a billion dollars that is not coming into Arizona now because we did not as accurately count our residents as we think could have or should have. But I will add, it wasn't for a lack of effort by especially community partners like One Arizona. Victoria hit on some of the aspects of what makes One Arizona and the roundtable of grassroots organizations so strong. But just for the census, and this is why Vitalist was so excited to partner with them, One Arizona mobilized at minimum 14 partner organizations across the state and supported more than 40 community organizers who put together more than 30 community workshops and gave more than 50 presentations. And this is a kicker, 400 tabling events. Of course, once the pandemic hit, that was all derailed, but the efforts shifted to a more digital outreach approach and more than 80,000 people were engaged as part of those efforts. So now we're excited to once again, partner with One Arizona, leveraging their trusted relationships in the community to ensure, as Victoria mentioned, those hard to count communities are now engaged and fairly allocated in the redistricting process. So now we just await the remainder of the data set from the census that we expect by September of this year that will then be used by the Independent Redistricting Commission and other government entities to redistrict and draw our congressional states and local lines. There was a lot in there, David, a lot of numbers too. So let's talk about that number. It was 780,000 people per representative. How does that compare to most states' representation? With about 780,000 people being in each congressional district in Arizona, we're essentially in the middle of the pack as it comes to resident population by congressional district. Lower population states like Wyoming or Rhode Island or Delaware obviously have one or two members of Congress that are represented by about 500,000 residents in their congressional district. So with more than 200 or 250,000 people, constituents that our, our members of Congress are now voices for, it makes the job more difficult and it makes it more difficult for residents to engage in an authentic way their member of Congress and voice their opinions and their values. So that's one of the downsides to not gaining an extra seat in Congress. And that's why it makes it so much more important to ensure that the congressional and legislative district lines are drawn so that those, especially communities of interest, communities of color, 
are held closely together to ensure that their voices are heard not only in the redistricting process, but in the next 10 years through elections and their elected representatives. Victoria, how much does this give you nightmares to think about drawing lines that represent 780,000 people anywhere but in, I would think, Maricopa County or Pima County? That's going to be a really big land area. We see that currently in Congressional District 1, where it reaches such a wide area of land. But I think that's the big piece to remember, right, is land doesn't vote, people do. So that's the interesting thing is seeing how these district lines are drawn out in shapes that might not exactly be pretty, but might actually be the most representative for some of these community members. And I think the really incredible thing about Arizona is that our commission, it has to start from a grid map. So even though we might not have an additional 10th district, our commission still has to start from scratch in drawing all of these new district lines. Tell us more about what you mean when you say they have to start with a grid map. They essentially start from zero. They can't use our current district lines to redraw them, and they can't just adjust those like a street line over or a block over. They have to literally start from the very beginning when it comes to drawing district lines. And that ensures that we can actually be part of this process. Even though there's no 10th district that can dramatically change what the political districts in Arizona look like, it can definitely still have an impact. And as community members, we can definitely be able to demonstrate to the commission where some of these district lines can and should be drawn to properly represent us. There's no starting from a current set. We start from the beginning and it's very dramatic, very intense, but it's also a very fun way to ensure that folks are actually properly represented. Victoria, my guess is that people aren't as familiar with the term redistricting as they are with the term gerrymandering. One's the bright side, one's the dark side. How does AIRC function and how do community advocates function so that we get redistricting instead of gerrymandering? There's a lot of ways we can protect voters and protect constituents. There's the Voting Rights Act, which although it has been gutted, we still do have Section 2, for example. We also have a lot of community input. We have a lot of opportunities for folks to really show up and say what these district lines should be. And we can prevent what we call cracking and packing. So making sure that they don't put all of the communities of color in just one district so that their voice is diluted or distributing them out everywhere so that communities of color won't be heard at all. So there's a lot of ways of mitigating that. The commission is held to quite a few legal standards and their criteria as well is there to protect the constituents, protect these maps and ensure that the maps really are fair for communities across the state. David, you mentioned the idea of how important this is related to resources flowing into the state. One of the things that Vitalist has done for quite some time now has looked at legislative districts and provided representatives to Congress with data about those districts that they may not know. For example, amount of health care coverage or not having health care coverage or resources related to education or resources related to health care or resources related to transportation and funding. Now that we're at this point of redistricting, how do you think about how the work gets done so that we get to a place like what Victoria just talked about, so that one member of Congress doesn't feel like that person represents a particular population versus another? And that's why community engagement as part of any redistricting process is so important. And that's really where we begin to ensure that there is an equitable process and equitable lens when it comes to drawing of the lines. So as Victoria mentioned, 
There are legal standards and constitutional provisions that the Independent Redistricting Commission has to follow when drawing the lines, including starting from zero and starting with the grid map. So essentially a blank slate. But then there are other key provisions that ensures that the lines are drawn and maintain this concept of one person, one vote. So those concepts include ensuring that the districts are compact and contiguous. So Victoria mentioned Congressional District 1. I joke that it would be weird if I am in the same district as my hometown of Morana in Southern Arizona while I live in central Phoenix. And it might seem odd that that would even happen because they're so different and pretty far from each other. But my hometown of Morana, portions of it are in the same congressional district as parts of Flagstaff in Northern Arizona. So clearly there happens to be some gerrymandering going on even from past redistricting processes. But hopefully we can ensure that those new lines and the new districts are compact and contiguous. They also have to show respect for communities of interest and visible geographic features, other components that the redistricting commission has to factor in. So this is really important when it comes to just how large geography our state is and ensuring that the redistricting commission is following these provisions. This is where it gets really interesting and challenging because things like communities of interest are defined in a lot of different ways and may not always be geographically bound. So that's where community engagement and residents voicing their opinions on their particular communities of interest and maintaining those within districts is really important. Yeah, it's one thing to spot Mingus Mountain on a map or the Grand Canyon or the Verde River, but There is no map for communities of interest. That has to come through community engagement. Yeah, and I think that's especially the case for communities of color. I know that there has been in the past efforts to maintain within same districts, especially tribal nations. And that I think will be another big play. And I think that One Arizona's member, the Intertribal Council, will continue to be a great voice for tribal communities. But even thinking about here in the Phoenix metro area, I know past redistricting commissions have heard from, say, the LGBTQ community and wanting to ensure that our voice isn't diluted and that our power is heard. But there really isn't a district for LGBTQ community that we may live in certain zip codes, but it's still really hard to define But by engaging in the process, any community of interest can say, this is my neighborhood. This is where I live and work and play. This is where I raise my family. And I want our community to stick together in the same district and be represented by somebody that looks like me. Now, I don't know if you meant to tip us into the next topic or not, but this doesn't just happen at the state level. It also happens in cities and towns. How does that work in relationship to AIRC, or is it completely independent? The city, town, and other local jurisdictions have their own redistricting process. And that usually starts around the same time after we get the 2020 census data, and sometimes a little bit after the state has started redrawing the congressional and state legislative district lines. But we know through some research that Vitalist has done and published in a Spark brief that's posted to our website now that of the 19 charter cities in the state of Arizona, 
eight of them actually embark on their own redistricting processes. That spark brief was done in collaboration with the League of Arizona Cities and Towns, and not only profiles those eight charter cities who do their own redistricting, but shows how residents can engage in those processes and profiles some really great examples of how cities have engaged residents, in some cases actually selecting maps submitted by residents to be used for their redistricting processes. We know that in addition to cities and towns having some redistricting processes, other government institutions or government entities like water districts, school districts, or other educational districts have districts as well. So they embark on their own redistricting and will continue to do a little bit more research to educate Arizonans and local residents on all of those opportunities to engage in those processes as well. What's the timing on all this? Is it all concurrent through the year 2021? When does it start? When does it end? Obviously, the numbers don't come out till September in detail. Right now, we just have state-level counts. So where is the timeline statewide? Where are timelines, relatively speaking, with cities and towns, and then with other special interest districts? Local governments and people that are involved with drawing the lines, especially at the local levels, are pulling out their hair right now because with the delay of the census, that has caused a delay in several redistricting processes from not only the Independent Redistricting Commission, but again, down to those local levels as well. But it's important that we use this up-to-date and accurate 2020 census data rather than, say, the American Community Survey that the Bureau puts out. It's really important that we use this up-to-date 2020 census that includes that demographic data and deeper dive data that the census will put out in September. So local officials are pulling out their hair, but we think that by beginning the process now, ensuring a robust and authentic community engagement process by the end of this year into 2022, we'll be able to have fair districts at all levels in time for the 2022 elections, which seems kind of crazy to be thinking about. But those elections, especially when you're talking about primary elections, not just the general election in the fall, begin to happen about a year from now. So in spring 2022. So it's a shortened timeline. But that's why Vitalist, in partnership with organizations like One Arizona, have begun to mobilize now because we want to ensure that whatever process is established, that it ensures a really robust and authentic community engagement aspect of it. And not just your traditional public hearing. It is really important to host those community town halls and for community members to attend those and voice their opinions. But a lot has changed since the last redistricting process. A lot is still going on with the COVID-19 pandemic that makes it not as safe for residents to attend in person. A lot of new technology has been created that can really inform in a really fun and awesome way the redistricting process. And yes, I did say fun uh, redistricting process. It's possible. Even by engaging residents in social media with online mapping tools, text messaging services, there are a lot of great new ways to engage residents And as Victoria said earlier, it's all about meeting residents where they're at, 
to engage them in this really critical process. Victoria, you were nodding your head through that whole last part of David's answer. What is One Arizona planning to do in order to engage folks? Most of our work comes in supporting our partner organizations. They're the ones on the ground that are educating community members about redistricting, hosting these trainings, hosting these workshops, and then training community members on how to talk to the commission. It can seem pretty intimidating to talk to a body of government that you know very little about that only comes up once a decade. So training community members about who are these people? How can you convince them that your community exists? And how can you convince them that they need to be represented? So doing all of that work of who are these people? How can we talk to them? What do we need to share with them? And how can we continue to stay involved in this process? And so much of it is really just showing up and hearing what the commission is doing and explaining to them who you are and what your community is and where do you live? What are the occupations of the folks around you? What schools do you go to? All of those little like everyday things that make up your community and making sure that the commissioners actually know what that looks like, whether it's the AIRC or it's independent redistricting commissions at a city level or at a county level. And what we're talking about too, you said this is a complex process for a reason. One of those reasons most of us would suspect has to do with power and who holds it, voice and who has it, resources and who gets them. Those are really big barriers. How do you take on those barriers? And in particularly in the light of some of the things that have come through during the pandemic, what, what has been exacerbated in communities, but also what has come through during this last year plus of focusing on racial inequity. How do some of these things become reality in the redistricting process now? We see some of that even in how the commission operates. They only host their meetings every week on a Tuesday morning. And the reality is a lot of folks are working at that time. So there's inequity in that process already. How many folks can actually participate live in what the commission is doing and listen in as that is happening? So there's definitely a lot of aspects of the redistricting process that can be improved so that community members can properly engage and can actually be part of the process. But at the same time, it really gets to the heart of if you want to be able to address your congressional member, if you want to be able to address your legislative district representative or senator, you have to be able to actually reach them. And when there's so, so many people in a district, obviously that elected officials time is really divided. And so we want to make sure that the congressional representatives and our state representatives actually come from our communities so that they can actually represent the communities we come from. They know how to reach other community members so that these issues can really come to light. And we can actually start addressing some of this inequity because congressional and statewide electeds are actually from these communities. If we're not properly represented in these district lines, we can't expect our elected officials to actually represent us. And then we can't address this inequity. So it really comes down to the heart of it of you only know your community. And so if you can't share what your community is, what's the point of this whole process? So we got to improve the re actual redistricting process so that community members can engage better and so that we can actually get elected officials that are from our communities into these spaces of power. True or false time. Victoria, true or false. Redistricting is just a matter of simple math. You take this zip code with this many people and you put it over here. You take this zip code with this many people and you put it over there. And it's really not that hard. False. If only it were that easy. <laughs> How do people wrap their heads around the fact that it's not that simple? 
Take a look at what your district is. If you pull up a list of all of your districts from your congressional to your school board to your state representative, they all have different numbers, different names. And seeing that alone, that shows you how many levels of power we're working with and how many different people we have to reach to address any of our problems. So that's part of why it's complicated. We're trying to make sure that folks have elected officials at many different levels. And we know that there's so many different communities in our state, like racial and ethnic communities to rural versus urban, tribal communities. There's so many factors to really think about as we're creating these district lines that there's no way it can be super easy. David, true or false? It's okay if we don't get it right this time because we can get it right next time. Major false on that one. (laughs) And joining with Victoria on this, this is a once a decade opportunity And once these lines are drawn and approved, probably vetted through a court, they are with us for the next decade. And as Victoria said, if these lines aren't drawn in a way that fairly represents our communities, especially communities of interest and of color, then we will not see that represented in our elected officials and certainly not in the policies that impact us on the day to day, like how we are going to return to work and return to school once more folks are vaccinated, once we get to the other side, if you will, of this COVID-19 pandemic, to the tremendous economic and infrastructure bills that are making their way through Congress. So the impact of the redistricting process that is happening this year has lasting impact for the next decade which is why it's so important for residents to engage and to let their voices be heard. I also wanted to add to some of the things that Victoria was saying, two things. One, the redistricting commission seems like this kind of nefarious boogeyman concept. These are five Arizonans who are volunteering their time to help us redraw our congressional and state lines. So us as communities should not be afraid to voice our opinion to these five representatives. They may not reflect our own political ideology. There are two Democrats, two Republicans, and the chairperson is an independent voter. And that was set up for a reason, so that it is actually an independent redistricting commission. So don't think of it as a body, a government entity that we shouldn't be engaging in. These are five neighbors from across the state. One lives in Oro Valley, another in Tempe. So these are people that are volunteering their time to set us on a really great track. It is now incumbent upon them to set this process that engages the community so that we are truly represented and As Victoria said, those especially hard to count communities are fairly allocated in this process. So we should get rid of this fact that the commission is just doing its own work and that there isn't an opportunity for us to engage them. And then there are certain provisions that the commission has to adhere to, like showing a respect for communities of interest. We determine what our communities of interest are, and the commission will not know those unless we voice our opinions. And it's not just divvying up zip codes. The lines go down to the census tract level. So neighborhoods, small communities. And we know what our community is. 
And we can say even by roads that divide communities, one side of the road, you might think that's not at all representing my community. So that's where residents can engage in the process and really outline how they see their communities. True or false? If the AIRC were truly representative, wouldn't it be three independents, one Democrat and one Republican? Yeah, that's that is a true statement. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that as I started at the top of the podcast, Arizona's redistricting process is seen as a national model. And so much so that even in the House and Senate Resolution 1, the For the People Act, they are seeing Arizona and the model of independent redistricting to try to replicate that across the state. So there's a uniform process not the state-by-state approach, or even sometimes local-by-local approach. So we should be really proud of the process that we have here in Arizona, but it's now more incumbent upon us to ensure that that process withstands the political nature that will come from the redrawing of political lines, but ensures that community remains at the center of those decisions. We're going to move to the one thing. Each of you will answer these two questions. The first, one thing. What's the one key idea people need to have firmly in their minds about the process of redistricting? We'll start with Victoria. I think the one key idea here is that no one knows your community better than you do. And so you have to show that to the commission. You have to show up to these hearings. You have to, in some way, demonstrate to them what your community is, because although they are just five Arizonans, They might not be your next door neighbor. They might live a whole other city away. And so they have no idea what these community members are and what these other hard to count communities look like if they're not part of them. So you know your community best and it's up to you to show that to the commission so that it can actually be included in these districts that will define the next decade for us. David, when you go second, you can say ditto, but you have to do a ditto plus, all right? So what's the one key idea people need to have firmly in their minds about redistricting? I want to ditto plus, plus, plus what Victoria said, because that is so awesome and so accurate. The one thing I will add as a key idea that people should keep in their minds about redistricting is something that we talked about before, is that this lasts for a whole decade. This is our one chance to get it right for the next 10 years, which is why it is that much more important for us to engage communities. And as Victoria said, let their voices be heard so that their communities are represented in the process and ultimately in the lines and the people that are serving us. Second one thing, we get to start with David this time. What is the one key next step people need to take away from this podcast to help make redistricting in 2021 and 2022 a success? I would say to show up for community. As Victoria said, nobody knows your community better than yourself. And this is why I feel like I have the best job at Vitalist because I get to see every day people across the state come together to solve their community's biggest challenges and to improve the health of their people and of their communities. People do this in a lot of different ways, differently, maybe in urban centers like Phoenix or rural communities like my hometown tribal areas, but people come together every day to solve their toughest challenges. They just show up and get stuff done. And the redistricting process is a way that you can show up for your community. 
Victoria, same rules apply to you. You can ditto, but you got a plus. What is the one key next step people need to take to help make redistricting in 2021 and 2022 a success? Definitely a ditto there. And I would love to add that our communities are made up of a number of people. So if you're listening to this podcast and you are somehow finally getting familiarized with this complex process of redistricting, help break it down for somebody else. Make sure that they're also showing up. It can be a very difficult process to wrap your head around. But once you've got those first inklings, those basic 101 knowledge points, then start sharing those with other folks because No one is going to be brought into this process unless it's by a person they know, that they trust, that they are already in conversation with. So bring someone else to this conversation. Bring them forth to the commission. Start having this conversation with other folks in your family, at your workplace, with your friends. It's not sexy. It's not a fun topic at first. But then start thinking about how much resources you could have or how your representatives could actually look like you and represent the communities you come from. Thank you, Victoria, and thank you, David. David, your passion for all Arizonans is self-evident, as is your capacity to nerd out and dig into complex systems that influence health. Victoria, your points are as important for us to understand as one Arizona's work is for the goal of achieving a strong redistricting outcome for all Arizonans. Dear listeners, the task is now ours. It is time to show up as communities of place, of color, and of interest. Voices need to be heard now so that they can be represented for the coming decade whether it is in Washington, D.C., in city government, or in the local school board settings that were flashpoints for community dialogue in 2020. Redistricting may sound deceptively boring or nerdy, but when done right, its resonance is quite surprisingly sexy in terms of community health and well-being. We'll be back with another episode of The Vitalist Spark next week. Until then, know that you have immediate access to a burgeoning back catalog of podcast episodes focused on the opioid crisis, affordable housing, food systems, Arizona's tribes, schools, streets and open spaces, and much, much more. There is a lot to listen to, featuring guests from across the state and national experts too. Visit us on the web at vitalisthealth.org podcast. Check out all of our current and past episodes on Spotify, or simply reach into that podcast app you're using right now and select on their show to find out what's going on related to health and well-being in Arizona. That's it for now. The insights, reflections, and takeaways from this dialogue belong at the family dinner table as much as they do in business settings, in city and town halls, and in the domains of healthcare and public health. So please, share this independent episode far and wide. Subscribe to the Vitalist Spark podcast to get notified as soon as new episodes are released, or listen to the Vitalist Spark just like you listen to your favorite music on Spotify. Give us your feedback wherever you get your podcasts, or you can give us your input the old-fashioned way. Your corrections, complaints, and compliments are all welcomed by emailing us at feedback at vitalisthealth.org. Finally, remember this. With great responsibility comes great power. We'll see you back on the road to well-being soon.